new concepts and ideas to help you reach your full potential. And we are back. Welcome, everybody, to the Success 101 Podcast Unscripted. I'm Jared Warren. He is Jordan Earls, and we are so glad to have you guys back with us today. How you doing, buddy? Good. Good morning, everybody. Man, I am so glad to be here. Now, I know you're not as much of a morning person. You've told me that before, <laughs> but you look like you're ready to roll. Yeah, I've got a lot of Starbucks. <laughs> oh, the red cup. Shot. They've got the red cup back. I'm sure they've had those for a little while. I'm probably behind the... Uh, Behind the ball on that. You probably don't do Starbucks if you're doing Bulletproof, right? Yeah, I don't. Now, I do like Starbucks. My wife thinks it's too bold. She goes on and on all the time. And so she does this like, she orders this thing that's like a 16 name long drink whenever we go there. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's one of those things like in your marriage, you kind of have to pick your battles. That's the one that I've had to pick because when we pull up to a Starbucks, a lot of them don't have drive throughs right? So I have to go in, like if we're leaving town, and she's like, I want a vanilla breve latte. I mean, it's just like she just goes on and on. I'm like... She likes coffee with her creamer? Yeah, she... Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So how was Thanksgiving? It was great, man. We spent some time in the Ozarks with some family and got to really just be uh, out in the wilderness. No, Our phones don't work out there. Um, we literally have no service. And it's not like we have Sprint or T-Mobile. We have AT&T. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> just nothing works. Nothing. So, man, it's funny. I know you guys were in Arkansas, but you're from Louisiana. Yeah. And I've always thought it's pretty amazing. You know, I'm from Texas. I've lived in Texas, went to school in Texas. I've lived in Houston and Dallas, which are both in Texas. I'm pretty much here, right? I mean, yep. the, but I've got cousins and stuff that live in both Arkansas, Louisiana. It's funny. Those states are kind of like two countries themselves. <laughs> like, it's it's pretty interesting how two states right there next to each other are so vastly oh, different. I mean, do you so find true. that when you go to Arkansas, that it's just different from what yeah. you grew up? It's a different world. It's funny, though. I saw a picture of Louisiana as the rest of the world sees Louisiana. <laughs> I'd love to and see that. And the map, I'll try to describe it the best I can. The bottom half of Louisiana, there's like New Orleans is on the map four times. Um, and then the <laughs> no. top half is South Arkansas. So like all of Shreveport and Monroe. Yeah, there you go. Which is just a great description of Louisiana. There you go. That's awesome. So yeah, man, we had a great Thanksgiving, just spent time out on the land. Many listeners who have tuned in know that uh, I had the chance back in May to buy the uh, the farmhouse that my great-grandfather, grandfather, and dad all at one point lived in. My dad was born and raised there. So had another family member that owned it for a little while, got passed down through a will, and they put uh, a lot of money into it, which is great because I would have never done that. But I walk in now and it looks like Pottery Barn or something on the inside, <laughs> restoration hardware. You know, it's it's so awesome. and uh, And so we just love going up there. And spending time. I'm I'm a little disappointed myself, though, because I went into the Thanksgiving season really sternly telling myself, I'm not going to go nuts on eating. And if I ever get sugar diabetes later in life, I think it's going to be from last weekend. Like, I think that was probably the tipping point of where it all kind of started, because I'm all in. You know my personality. And once I had the third piece of pumpkin pie, and then my mom made pecan pie the next night, which is my favorite. My wedding cake was just like... 50 pecan pies. No way. Like, it's my favorite thing. Really? And so I was like, well, I got to have that too. And I just kept going back and kept going back. And I was like, well, 
Well, I stopped now, and I just went nuts. <laughs> I, I'm I'm disappointed in myself. I went absolutely <laughs> nuts. So anyway, we got back. You know, the kids are all thrown off schedule and everything. I, I'm I'm a gift giver. Like that's my language. If you if you kind of break down the psychological part of of how I operate best, it's gifts, and I love giving gifts. I I love receiving gifts. I mean, who doesn't, right? But I just kind of I kind of hold that to a higher standard than some people. And so my wife always gets kind of kind of upset with me because Christmas time's coming up, right? And so she's like, "Hey, we need to be on board with what we're what we're getting the girls, and here's some ideas I have." And we we try not to just go crazy because we know grandparents are going to give whatever. Well, I'm the one that's always like bringing stuff in, but my stuff's like trinkets and stuff. So yeah. I'll go to like Walgreens to pick up a allergy medicine or something, and I'll come home with like three or four things, like handing it out to the girls. <laughs> and she's like, "At least buy something quality. Like if yeah. you're going to go get them something." So I walk in the other night, my oldest daughter's laying on the floor. She's like, daddy, I did not have a good day at school. My stomach was hurting today. And the, the five period class or something, I don't know what she's talking about. The five period class, the, the boys there didn't want to play with me and it hurt my feelings. And so she's just like, she's just like having a, an adult moment almost like as a kid, like dealing yeah. with emotions. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be so awesome. Cause I bought these frozen, uh, frozen, the movie, these plastic figures. It had like four or five of the little characters in there, just these little tiny not tight. They're, they're probably, you know, three or four inches tall, just, just these little dolls, these little figures. And I'm like, this is going to be so cool. So I set them up outside. One was across the street on a, on electro electric meter box. And one was on my license plate, like just sitting there and we went on a scavenger hunt. So I was like, Oh, this is going to be so cool. It's going to make her feel better. We go out, I'm giving her clues of where to look. And my other daughter's walking too. And so she finds it and she gets all excited and she's like, Oh my gosh, you know, and it's like, makes the whole day better, you know? And then my other daughter goes and finds hers. So we come back in. She's so excited. She's like loving on the dolls and everything. And then she comes to me probably five minutes later, we're making dinner and she goes, is the head supposed to come off? And she's literally <laughs> holding the head and it looked like it just would pop back on, but it didn't. It was oh, made not to come no. off. And so I go, and so she starts tearing up. Like, she's like, oh my doll. And I'm like, no, 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 it's okay. We've got super glue, you know, whatever. Yeah. So I start applying the super glue and I guess it'd been in the drawer for a while, but it was like runny, like water. Oh, so I put a little no. super glue on and it pours over the whole doll. And so I take a napkin and start wiping it off. And I'm like, look, I've got it back on. It's fine. And I look and the paint from the doll's dress is coming <laughs> off in my hand. <laughs> and I go, and I turn to my wife, not concealing my emotions and I go, Look at this piece of junk. It's so cheap. And now the dress is coming off in my hand and I hold it up and my daughter just loses it. She's like, the dress is messed up. So the point of the story here is you can make your kids stay by giving them things, but don't buy. Don't junk. buy crap. Yeah. Buy something. You know, don't be me. <laughs> buy something that's quality. But anyway, you'll, you'll go through those things once your son's born. Probably not to that same emotional level, but uh, three daughters, man. It's, uh, it's always a whirlwind of emotion. That is awesome. I was actually going to ask you, how do you find the balance between not spoiling your kids, but also getting to enjoy giving them gifts on a regular basis? Yeah, I'd say I'm probably not the best to ask about that uh, <laughs> because I'm such a gift giver and that's my language. That's how I, that's how I operate. I think if my wife was here, she would probably say that I go well past the line of what maybe would be socially acceptable of spoiling versus not spoiling. Now I'm not a guy that wants to spoil my kids by any means. Yeah. But when I see something that I know is going to make their day, I snag it. Yeah. And I justify it by saying, 
Oh, it's just it's just real cheap, right? But yep. then what happens? Heads fall off and dresses smear in your hand <laughs> when you have to super glue them back on, right? So yep. so as they get older, I'll probably have to get a lot better about that, where just not going off impulse of giving them everything they want. I, I read a book at one point uh, called Raising Daughters, and uh, that was it was just like a day by day, just a little quick sentence, you know, and one of the sentences that stood out was, don't give them everything they want, even though you desperately want to with everything inside of you. And it's like, man, that's going to be a tough one for me, yeah, for sure. That seems tough. You know, as some of the listeners may may or may not know, my wife and I have a baby on the way. And that's something I worry about. You know, I want to want to raise my kids to know the value of money and respect money. And but at the same time, I'm like you. I love to give gifts. And so it's going to be very tough, I would imagine, uh, to temper that, to sort of put... <sighs> put some restrictions around how, I guess, how regularly I do things like that. I, I don't know. I'm not there yet. Yeah. I think where it, I think where it kind of hits me is at Christmas time, whenever, you know, the grandparents, grandparents always want to spoil your kids. And so they, no matter how much we as parents ask them not to, they're going to give a lot of gifts. Yep. So we've kind of said the last two years, Katie and I probably don't need to give as many, not that we gave a ton before, but we're starting to, as they get a little older, we're starting to, and they're still young, right? But we're starting to rein that in a little bit more, just seeing how they react. You know, you want them to be appreciative of gifts. And if you give too many, they're going to start just kind of realizing like, hey, I, I get gifts all the time. It's not a big deal. And yeah. we certainly don't want that to happen. Have you ever seen that video on YouTube about the little kid who gets a present on Christmas of like a, it's a potato or an apple or something. <laughs> no, he's so happy. He's like, thank you so no, much. I haven't Mom. seen that. I'm going to go look it's that so up. It's <laughs> so sweet. I hope my kids are that, you know, appreciative. Yeah. You can always show that to your kids. Yeah. You know, seriously. Later on. I think, you know, one thing that I, I find as an interesting topic that I'd love to just pick your brain on Jared is thinking about where we spend our money and how we spend our money and how we manage expenses that's something that I really get wrapped up in, maybe even a little bit too much to a fault. You know, I hear a lot about business owners should be more worried about generating revenue than managing expenses, um, or at least have some balance there. The time that we could be spending generating revenue, if we're spending it just managing expenses, we're never going to generate enough revenue to cover those expenses down the right. road. And I hear more and more business owners talk about that as I get uh, more business owner clients, as I read more things out there. The, the days of just trying to, you know, it costs too much basically in our society today to be cheap. Yep. And so you're going to have to put out a lot of money and there is a balance, right? But I think mm -hmm. you're exactly right. I hear that from more and more people. If you're worried about bottom dollar more than you're worried about revenue. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you have to worry about bottom dollar, but if you're worried about bottom dollar more than revenue and you're trying to figure out every single where, every single place that you can cut most business owners out there, really successful business owners that have gone through the hard knocks and figured out a way to make it work, they would say, look, man, you are totally wasting your time here because what you're trying to cut out, you're missing out 2x of that over here in revenue. Yeah. You know, get on with it. You know, put money in your business or spend money, invest in your business. Yeah. It'll take care of itself. Yeah. It's like the old adage of you're tripping over dollars to pick up a nickel. Right. Right. I've spent two months on the phone with AT&T customer loyalty, <laughs> trying <laughs> nice. to get my bill negotiated to a place that I, you know, I, I'm happy with it. And it's, it's all been after working hours, you know, like on, <laughs> I feel like every Saturday of a Saturday morning ritual to call AT&T. Nice. <laughs> you know, this, this last time I got on the call with him was on the way to, to Oklahoma and it was like 10 o'clock at night. So there wasn't really anything revenue generating I could have been doing. 
But they had a problem with my bill. They charged me for some things that they shouldn't have charged me for. And I got them to take it off and give me a little bit of money back, you know, as sort of a, hey, sorry for the hassle. But I realized I spent two and a half hours on the phone with them. Wow. And, you know, I guess maybe I netted $30 on that call. Right. Right. So, so I made 15 bucks an hour, which is okay. Right. But if I had done that during business hours, that would have been such a tragedy. You know? Oh yeah, it would have been bad. And, and I don't, you know, I don't know how this is going to come across to the listeners on the podcast. I hope it certainly doesn't sound bad by any means, but it's a, it's a mindset shift uh, for me. I used to be one of the cheapest guys, you know, uh, I mean, it was just ridiculous and I didn't realize it. I used to think it was smart. I, I'm like, no, I'm, I'm frugal. Yep. But I don't know that a business owner can be frugal, especially in today's time yep. to some, to some extent, right? I mean, there's always extremes. What I found is whenever I stopped focusing so much on those things is after I started making more income, because at some point your income will rise to a level where you realize it's not worth my time spending X amount of time on whatever you just name it, whatever it is. Right. Yep. And I felt foolish at first, whenever that first started happening, but the pain, let's say two hours on the phone with AT&T, right? I mean, that just would put a pit in my stomach. Yep. So if the bill was high enough, absolutely. Because then the bulldog in me comes out and I go, hey, these they're not going to take my money. Yep. It's a principle thing it is now. A principle. Right? And that's what it was for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. So there's been other things that pop up where I know for a fact someone has taken more money in a situation like that, but it wasn't enough to move my needle. Why? Because I've got so many other things in life going on now that... I let it go. Yeah. You know, and I never thought I would do that ever. Yeah. But I think you've got to frame where you are and what it is that you're spending time on, or you're going to spend time on things that just really aren't moving the needle, not only from a financial standpoint, but also willpower. Yeah. I mean, if you have to just spend a lot of time throughout the week doing a bunch of just grind work on things that you're like, man, I, I could have just left that stuff alone. You're going to be a lot better off in my opinion. Yeah. Agreed. Well, and you know, it's not like you said, not just a revenue issue. That's two hours I could have been engaged with my wife or two hours that, you know, if you're spending on the phone that you could be just engaged in your family and fully present. Right. Not doing something that is life sucking, but something that is life giving uh, and rejuvenates you, you know, and so That's right. I think th there's got to be a balance, right? We don't just want to charge everything to the credit card and say, well, the business will take care of it and not, not have any worries at all. Um, but I, I do think that at least my personality type uh, that's one of my biggest struggles and it's something I, I just don't know how, I guess I'm learning more consistently how to think more like a business owner and act more like a business owner Yeah, um, and I, worry more about what is, what am I doing day to day that's revenue generating? But, yeah. And I think it takes time. I think, I think you go through, through some things, you spend time doing things you shouldn't be doing and there's life lessons from that, right? I mean, you learn from that. Something big like healthcare costs uh, as you bring on more employees, as your business grows over time. Healthcare costs are 75% plus of what most employers deal with on their bottom line. If we yeah. can figure out ways to cut out something that's 75% plus, that's a worthwhile effort, right? Oh, yeah. Even if we have to spend hours doing it, uh, something like, I mean, fill in the blank, whatever it is for your individual business or, or expenses, those of you listening out there, you'll finally get to a point where you go, you know what? It's just not worth my time doing this. I mean, we talked last time about it. Elon Musk, is it worth that guy going out washing his Tesla every weekend, even if he loves doing it? Yep. Or should he be going do and doing other things with his time? Mm -hmm. Life giving. I like that that you said. That's awesome. I think the bottom line, Jared, is on an almost a hourly basis, you got to ask yourself, is what I'm doing the best use of my time? And that's right. That's just in in business, 
in general, but is what I'm doing the most efficient use of my time? If not, you know, should I be doing something more effective or more efficient? Like I said, that's one of my struggles. There are often times where I find myself spending 15 minutes, you know, fighting with a bill that I don't feel like that we owe, um, or I'll spend 30 minutes fighting with a bill that we don't, I don't feel like we owe. And it's a $20 bill. It's like, just pay it because that 30 minutes could be spent making more, a lot more than the $20 I spent. And like I said, not only from a financial standpoint, which that does, that does go into it, but for me, it becomes mental. Like I become very bitter and angry and just, like I said, I get a pit in my stomach now knowing that I have to sit on hold for who knows how long and some customer service recording menu that I'm going through. Yep. I just move on. Absolutely. And it has freed me up a lot. Now that could seem very irresponsible to some people. So I do think, like I said, you have to look at the amount maybe from a percentage standpoint. I know there's some uh, calculators online that um, you go to inc.com or uh, entrepreneur.com, different things out there where people are helping you, teaching you better how to run businesses and things like that. I know they've got some calculators of how much should your expenses be of X amount of your revenue. Uh, Those things are good to look at. But I think you do have to look at it. If it's a $20 bill and you're like, man, I'd probably sit on the phone for the next 30 minutes dealing with this, maybe move on. If it's 75% of your bottom line healthcare costs, and you can go shop that out and try to figure out how to get your employees better health care or, you know, health care costs or whatever. That That's probably worth sitting on. But, yeah, I think I think really it just comes down to figuring out where your expenses are. And uh, if it's a big line item, we can move the needle on. Great. If not, mm-hmm. they need to move on. It's going to be a lot better for our our time. And, and again, just from a mental standpoint, I was reading a, an article from Forbes that came out a while back. I try to save a lot of things out there that I see. But this was uh, this was an article I read a while back on Forbes. I went back and revisited it. Uh, this is by Travis Bradbury, uh, Forbes contributor. But it's 10 things mentally strong people won't do. So I thought that might be helpful to bring to our listeners today, because I don't know of anybody out there that's just like, yeah, man, I, I just really don't want to be mentally strong. I just kind of want to be have my mind in the gutter all the time. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. If if so, you're probably not listening to the Success 101 podcast. <laughs> um, but I think it's tough to be mentally strong, honestly. I, I talk with a lot of advisors out there, and I coach a lot of people out there, and that's that's the thing that I've struggled with, especially when you feel stuck. You feel like you're in a rut, and you don't know how to move on, and the ability to break out of that mold and move in a new direction and the extra grit that it takes, and uh, and when you look at just the that grit, so to speak, that mentally strong people have, sometimes it's just... It's just amazing. Uh, There was a story about Thomas Edison a while back. His factory burned to the ground like in the early 1900s, and it it destroyed one of the one of the kind inventions. You know, he had like thousands of inventions that just failed. You know, yeah. But he he didn't look at it as failing. That's kind of the big story on him. Is he looked at it as, hey, we're one step closer to getting to where we want to go, and that's why he eventually succeeded. Yeah. But it burned. His factory burned to the ground, and one of the prototypes that they had. I, I think the article said it was $23 million in damage in, in today's dollars. No and his way. response, his response, I loved it. He said, thank goodness all our mistakes were burned up. Now we can start fresh again. I mean, that was his response <laughs> to that. $23 million of today's money is what that was, that was equal to. They lost their factory that they were trying to build these things in and mass produce. Wow. And I don't even remember what it was that they were trying to do. But that was his deal. So you look at that as a mentally strong person. And what did he come out with? He came out with a ton of inventions, one of them being the light bulb. I mean, something we still use every single day. Okay. So wow. I wanted to roll through just what mentally strong people do and, and want you guys to take away from that uh, today, just the fact that if we can become mentally strong, it's going to take care of a lot of other things. So much like the expenses you just mentioned, 
when we have our mindset on other things that we think are more important, that $20 doesn't matter much anymore, right? Yep. It could even be $200 at some point. And that may not matter as much depending on what you have to do to go through it. Mindset is the same way. It's things that used to bother me and I used to dwell on. What am I now moving on to in order to be more productive? So one of the things on this list is just that. They don't dwell on mistakes. So mentally tough people know that where you focus your attention is going to determine your emotional state. I think we would all agree with that. When you fixate on the problems that you're facing, you create and prolong negative emotions and stress, and that's just going to do what? It's going to hinder your performance, and we all want better performance each day. So when we focus on actions to better ourselves and our circumstances, then we're going to create a personal space around us for positive emotions, improved performance, all the things that you hear people who are successful talk about. Mentally tough people, Jordan, just I found that they just have a way of distancing themselves from their mistakes but they do so without forgetting them. Wow. So so more, like I said, more business things that I read out there, more peak performance things that I read, whether it's athletes, coaches, entrepreneurs, I see more and more this concept of people moving on from their mistakes and not hanging on them, but not forgetting about them. Yep. And I think that's tough because if I'm not forgetting about my mistakes, they could resurface themselves in an unhealthy way. So I think it's all about framing. Yeah. I'm not forgetting about them. They're still in the back of my mind. But when they come up, person A is framing them one, one way, person B is framing them another. Both people are still thinking about those old mistakes, but person A is going to learn from that. I had uh, Lanny Basham on my podcast a while back. He's got a book out many people know with winning in mind. He's the most decorated rifle shooter on the Olympic and world championship stage in the world. Wow. Very tough mental sport. And he got to a point where he would say, I'm prepared, I'm trained, I'm ready to go. I've rehearsed thousands of times. If he would miss a shot, he wouldn't get down on himself. He would say, that's interesting. Why did I do that? That's interesting. How can I learn from that? So he's not forgetting about his mistakes. He's actually, I guess you could say he's dwelling on them a little bit, but with the proper framework in mind. And so mentally tough people distance themselves from their mistakes, but they do so without forgetting them. And I think by keeping those mistakes at a safe distance, yet keeping them on hand to learn from, they're able to adjust for future success. Wow. So I definitely want to learn more in this new year how to do that, how to take my mistakes and distance myself from them, but not completely forget about them. Yeah. Because that could be bad, too, if we're trying to forget about all of our mistakes, which, by the way, you can't do. They're Mm -hmm. always going to come back. We don't use it as a learning opportunity. And we waste, really, in my opinion, we waste a moment there that we could have had a learning opportunity. Number two, we've heard this all of our life. They don't hang around negative people. Yeah. I've heard that for so long. Like, Hey, you don't need to hang around negative people. Jim Rohn said, you're the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. Right. So if we're going to hang around negative people, we know that's bad news. They're going to wallow in their problems. They're going to fail to focus on solutions. They want everyone to join in on Zig Ziglar used to talk about a pity party. You know, you, you give out invitations, to this pity party, but nobody's showing up, but you, um, I think I may have just butchered his quote there, but it's something along those lines. You know, it's nobody wants to come to that. It's a, it's a terrible party and nobody's showing up, but you, you know, to, to that pity party, emotionally intelligent people, successful people, they avoid getting drawn in. They set limits. They distance themselves from negative people when necessary. Think about it this way. If a person was smoking around you, Jordan, would you sit there all afternoon inhaling that secondhand smoke? Absolutely not. No, you'd move. You distance yourself away from them. And that's the same thing we have to do with negative people. Even if we're close to them or closely connected with them in a business standpoint, we have to find a way to distance ourselves from them. Number three, they don't stop believing in themselves. I think that's pretty self-evident. It goes back to the whole, you know, just being mentally 
tough. How do we do that? Failure is not failure. Failure is feedback. We're going to learn from those mistakes over time. They don't wait for an apology to forgive. I thought this one was really interesting. Mentally tough people know that life goes a lot smoother once you let go of grudges and you forgive even those who never said they were sorry. Grudges let negative events from your past ruin today's happiness, therefore possibly ruining the path of success that you're on. It's like an emotional parasite that destroys all the joy in your life. So this is real stuff. I mean, people may hear this and go, yeah, man, I've got some negative people in my life, but I don't know that I need to cut them out. I don't know that I need to necessarily forgive everybody if they haven't realized where they wronged me or whatever. You're really harming yourself. I mean, that person's probably moved on and you're the one sitting there still dwelling on that. That's just going to burn up your willpower. Number five, they don't feel sorry for themselves. The biggest thing, Jordan, about feeling sorry for yourself, other than it just being annoying and nagging on you all the time, whether you feel it, that it's doing that or not, is that it shifts your mindset control outside of yourself. Okay, so feeling sorry for yourself. And I've read a lot on this. Feeling sorry for yourself, feeling guilty about things you haven't done, feeling bad about your mistakes. All of those things are basically making you a victim. Wow. So do we want to be a victor and a champion or do we want to be a victim each day? We have the choice every day to choose that. And on a dime, we can turn and say, no more. I'm not going to be a victim. I'm going to go out and I'm going to conquer today. Mentally strong people do that. They don't feel sorry for themselves because that would mean giving up on some level of control to see the end goal of where they're trying to get to here. Number six, similar idea. They won't let anyone limit their joy. So this goes back to just getting negative people out of your life getting people out. I heard somebody say one time, when somebody tells you you can't do something, you need to frame that as being their opinion. That's their opinion. That doesn't mean of the millions, billions of people out there in the world that everyone would have that opinion. Because Mm -hmm. for every one person that says you can't do something, you're going to find several that are going to say, yeah, go for it. I think you absolutely should go for it. So don't let anyone limit your joy. And then also, they don't limit the joy of others. They try to be a positive impact whenever they're around people. They try to be not necessarily the life of the party, but bringing good ideas, being the person that in a group of people, they can always be the one who's counted on. And that little nugget that people observe about you whenever you're in a setting and you know, I mean, there's people in my life right now, I know I can count on them. If I called them at three o'clock in the morning, said my house is burning, they would come through for me in some way, maybe not even financially, but they would be there. They would do things. Business standpoint, I know people that would come through. I often wonder, what are people saying about me? Yeah. When people get together, even if it's not together with other people, if they're just sitting there in their mind thinking about the people that are around them or something they need to accomplish, or they saying, Jared's a guy I can count on to get stuff done. If I haven't had the experiences around them in other social settings, they may not think that about me, right? True. So successful people are always at the forefront of the people. Even if you maybe don't agree with them personality-wise or you have different interests or whatever, you still respect the fact that they can get things done. And uh, and they're also not stealing the joy of others by just being a negative emotional drain on everybody that's yeah. there. They're coming through. There were a few others that were listed here. You know, they don't get lazy. I think that's pretty self-evident. They also don't get negative. I think that goes back to the point we were just saying there. But I would really just encourage you listeners out there, if you're thinking about this, thinking about mindset, what 10 things mentally strong people do. And just kind of give yourself a litmus test on that. Are you someone that feels like you could be better at being you know, more mentally strong? I think we would all say that. And if you do, what are you doing to work on that? And are you living up to some of the traits that are on this list? Are you identifying three or four where you say, look, I'm, you know, maybe I didn't even identify it the same way until Jared read that. But yeah, those are definitely things this new year I want to work on. Yeah. It's kind of like a, a quarterback, an NFL quarterback that throws two interceptions in the first quarter and then comes back, you know, from behind. 
and it's just laser focused on putting moving the ball up the field. Dude, that's you know? crazy. I used that yesterday morning in a group meeting that I had here. Really? Absolutely. That's, that's awesome. so weird that you just brought that up. Yeah, so I was talking to my team yesterday and we were talking about uh, some mindset stuff. I can't even remember the moment what we were on, but I gave that example. I said, it's always amazing to me the mindset of an NFL or college quarterback. Mm-hmm. Big game, you know, you know he's a great quarterback. He's prepared. He's put in the time, just as Lanny Basham said. But he goes out in a big game when the team really needs him, and he throws two back-to-back interceptions. Yep. Everybody's griping, complaining, oh my gosh, I can't believe he threw those passes. But the very next series, you need him to show up and perform again. And it's always been amazing to me, those guys, they throw two back-to-back interceptions, and they step up, and on the next drive, at some point in that drive, they'll launch a 45-yard, 50-yard bomb down the field. I'm like, what in the world is going on in his (laughs) mind? I'd pull back, and I'd probably hesitate. I'd I'd start trying to scramble around and run, because I just don't want to let that ball go, right? Yep. Can you, can we remove ourselves from that mistake almost and say, well, that that's what I was, but that's not what I am now. You know, that's, that was the old me, right? I'm going to learn from the old me, but I'm a different person today than I was five minutes ago, or I'm a different person in this moment than I was a, a day ago. You know, you were talking about Thomas Edison earlier. I'm a lot of respect for people that are visionaries and are creators and inventors. And there's a neat story. Are you familiar much with the creator of five hour energy? I'm not. Man, this guy, he's an Indian man, and I'm going to butcher his name. I think it's Manoj Bargava, Bargava. Who knows? That sounds right to me. <laughs> but he's the founder of 5-Hour Energy. Energy. He's from India. He grew up, I think, in, in Pennsylvania. Uh, I wonder if he made any money on that in, that little endeavor, 5-Hour Energy. Yeah, I don't energy. think he made any money. <laughs> uh, by 2012, they were doing a, a billion in sales. So there's this documentary about him uh, called Billions in Change. And he pledged, I think it was 99% of his net worth to improving the well-being of the underprivileged, which is just like that to me is just incredible. So basically what he did is he, he hired the most brilliant minds, engineers, thinkers, inventors, and basically said, I want to solve three problems. I want to solve the problem of, of healthcare. I like to solve the problem of sustainable energy and then water. And so he said, Here's basically 99% of my net worth. Go do it. And so they came up with a number of inventions, one of which solves two of those issues. They built a bicycle, stationary bicycle, like what you would have in the gym. And you pedal this thing. And one hour of pedaling could power a small house for a whole day. Wow. So, you know, it solves a healthcare issue. If we can get some more exercise, right, it's good for the body. Um, but also gives enough energy for a whole family to live with the lights on. Pretty incredible. I mean, that's the idea. An, an idea like that could be mainstream in a few years. I could imagine LA Fitness utilizing that as a way to generate yeah, revenue for them. Yeah, why not? I mean, why wouldn't, right? we, why wouldn't we do stuff like that if we've got the technology to do it? Absolutely. You know, Tesla, just a little side topic here. Tesla, I saw an article that I read this past week. Uh, you know, Elon Musk is doing this whole thing with solar panels on top of the houses yep. where your, you know, where your shingles are basically. Instead of just putting one giant solar panel like a lot of people do or, or a grid of them, he's doing it like your shingles are all solar panels. And they just uh, basically powered an entire island for like the next five years or something like that. I hope I'm not screwing this up, but it's like they just powered just stored up enough energy to power this island uh, somewhere out there in the Pacific for the next five years. No way. Um, after capturing enough sunlight to do that. So, I mean, you just, you start seeing these revolutionary things um, like you're mentioning there where we're going to have technology to utilize things like gyms, like you mentioned, gyms powering up and storing energy for certain things, which is really cool. Yeah. 
And I don't think that everybody is, is created to be an inventor. I don't have a ton of creative ideas in my bones, <laughs> right? Yeah. But I do think that there is something to be an excellent in saying, like what you say, what is your why? We have to know what our purpose is in life and, and what we were put on this earth to do, you know, and, and having a purpose and having a why is so incredibly powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, and the thing my good friend Curtis Estes always says is that with a big enough why, the how doesn't matter yeah. because you're going to not let anything stand in your way. You're going to figure out a way to get things done. Yeah. If, if the why is big enough, I find that most people's why is not big enough. Yeah. And, you know, as far as, as that documentary Billions and Change goes, it's, it's extremely enjoyable to watch. Um, there's a number of, of other inventions that are pretty revolutionary, in my opinion. Billions in Change is the name of it. I think you can find it like on their website, maybe billionsinchange.com. I think it's incredible when people tap into the, their pain points. This man was, was born in India. He lived in India for a few years. And for him, what, his purpose is, I want to make an impact on the country that I was, I was born in, the people that I care about. I want to see their lives enriched. And I think it is just such, we, we really begin to live when we figure out what our purpose is in life. And when we do meaningful work, um, I think it's so important to do meaningful work, but to know what that meaningful work is for each one of us. Yeah, you see, uh, you see the billionaires of the world out there, the guys really moving the needle out there. A lot of what they're doing today and what keeps them driven really doesn't have anything to do with their business. You yep. look at Warren Buffett, you look at Bill Gates, you look at just a lot of these people out there who have made mega wealth. So much of what they talk about now when they get interviewed, or they talk about in not necessarily TED Talks, but some forum like that where they're giving like a, a, a forum talk out in front of a group of people, they talk very little about their company. Yep. And I don't think it's because they're not interested in talking about their company. I think it's just because their why is bigger. And so that's a really cool idea. I, I'll, I'll definitely go check out that documentary, but expanding your mind and expanding your thinking. Imagine this guy, I don't know, I don't know anything about the five hour energy creator. You know, we can't even really pronounce his name here, right? But he, <laughs> he grows up, but he goes and creates this little tiny thing five hour energy yep. that people buy by the billions of units. And then he takes that and says, you know what? I had some success in that, but here's, here's my real impact that I want to have in life so much. So I'll give 99% of my wealth away. Yeah. So I think that's, I think that's really interesting. And, and basically just talking about using the resources also that you have to make a big difference kind of makes me think about time. Time is always one of those things that I've complained about as just being a fleeting thing. And people always told me, Hey, wait till you have kids. Time's going to fly by even faster. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay. You don't realize things until you're in the moment, but I've certainly seen that to be the case. I'd read an article a while back. I can't even remember where, where I saw or when I saw it, but it's basically talking about how there's more than enough time when you use the time you have. So that just seems like a, you know, it's, it's not a very revolutionary concept, right? It's like yeah. more than enough time when you use the time you have. There was a book out there that I've referenced before, The Magic of Thinking Big by Charles Schwartz. And he breaks down time in the day. It's kind of a fascinating chapter where he goes through every minute of things that you could be doing in the day. And he says, if you, you know, if you sleep seven or eight hours a night, if you work eight hours a day, if you do this, if you do this, if you do this, if you do this, he goes through all these descriptors of things that people could do. At the very end, he says, you would still have another two hours a day, even if you just want to sit in front of the TV and do nothing. Really? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. So I'd encourage you guys to go get that book, The Magic of Thinking Big by Charles Schwartz. But I think most people are so busy that they don't really 
notice the things that they need to be doing around them. I know I've been caught up in that and would stay to say to some level, I'm still caught up in that a little bit. The day just flies by. There's certain things that I, I look at at the end of the day and go, man, I got to leave. I got to get out of here. But I didn't get everything accomplished. What yep. what happened? Well, I didn't time block properly. I didn't write down my ideal day. The concepts that I hear out there about now, whenever I read about time, is that we can learn how to truly use the time we have to where we can look back at each day and be really proud of what we did. I've always talked to my advisors here that I'm coaching and my private clients that I coach about just feeling guilty when you drive home each day. You could be single and feel guilty, or you could have a family of a ton of kids at home. Yep. Either way, you're you're sabotaging your mindset and what it is that you're working toward. Um, and I think the cost of not getting control over our time is way bigger than we realize because we can't see the future. We can't see what's out there that we could have accomplished, but that we're either setting bad habits, getting in negative mindset, whatever, and we're not going to be able to accomplish the things that we maybe could have. You know, who we are today and what we're locking into our mind, who we'll become, what we're going to accomplish in our days ahead how deep our relationships are. If you don't feel like you have time during the workday, you're probably not spending a lot of quality time investing in other relationships or other things that you ultimately would say you value most that are way more important maybe than, than work. Dan Sullivan, strategic growth coach out there. I don't know if you've ever seen any of his stuff, but he's just been around for a long, long time. And I've, I've just read so much of his stuff, but he's got a quote that says, wherever you are, make sure you're there. And that's it's just, awesome. it's just such a simple quote. And it's like, you know, people read that and go, oh, that's, that's cool and move on you know, or whatever. But really, wherever you are, make sure that you're there. And so most experts out there would say that awareness really is the first step of getting back control of your time. What are you doing right now? Are you fully engaged in maximizing that time or are you doing something else? So whether it's work, be in work. If you're with friends, be with friends. If you're having a conversation with your wife, be there, like be all in. And I think it's just, amazing how bad we've gotten at being present myself included like i'm pointing a big finger right back at me well it's tough too because we're a lot of us have been raised in the world where we're trained to do four things at once right and right. be good quote unquote multitaskers right there's a lot of studies that say multitasking is not effective no right? it doesn't even exist really if most yeah. psychologists would tell you you're just task switching like you can't <laughs> really take on two things at once you know we we've got facebook up and we've got our work up and we've got, you know, four or five different browsers going at once. We have three or four different tasks. How can you be present in, in what you need to do if you've got a hundred different things going on? Right. You know, if your brain can't focus on the one thing that's the most important because you've got five things in your, you know, in front of your line of sight that you need to tackle. Yeah. I read something once that said, unless it's truly automatic that you really have to don't, you know, you really don't have to use any brain power for, and they gave the example of walking and chewing gum at the same time. Like those two things, your brain can comprehend and kind of be fully all in. Yep. I can be fully all in walking forward and fully all in chewing this piece of gum, right? Yep. Doesn't take a rocket scientist to do that. It's yeah. automatic. Anything, though, that's going to take any level of significance or deep thought, even if it's not a big monumental task, but it requires you to be focused on it to some degree, they argue you cannot multitask. It's not even a real thing. You're just task switching. Other things that I've read talk about how you spend your time. You know, good things are around us constantly and everything that we say yes to, we're going to have to say no to something else. So I think a really good takeaway for our listeners is, is that in any situation that you're in, you've got to ask yourself, is this the best possible use of my time? Is this the best approach at tackling this thing, whatever it is that I'm trying to do, or am I settling for less? 
And if something is not a resounding, yes, absolutely, I'm doing the right thing that's going to be the most valuable and fulfill me right now, then you've got to say no to it. And so many entrepreneurs, successful people, people that are striving for success that I've interviewed, talked to, coached, whatever, their big aha moment was whenever they started saying no to more things and more people. And many times I think that would make us feel like we're shutting people out, which you kind of are, right? For yep. But it would make you feel cold. It would make you feel like a jerk. It'd make you feel like whatever. But saying no today is going to free up so many more opportunities. If you're not 100% behind what you're currently doing, or if you're doing it just out of obligation, whatever, you've got to say no to it and you've got to stop doing it. That's going to free up more of your time during the day. Because good is the enemy of great. That's right. Jim Collins, we could read that book, you know, all, all day long. But every situation that you're kind of in a fork in the road, so to speak, you've got to be consistent with your actions and consistency towards success, as we're talking about here, should be choosing something that's going to be more well worth your time, even if it's the harder road. So I've read some things recently about it's always easy to choose the easier road. You might even think you're taking on more on your plate and being more productive by just doing all these little easy tasks. That could be avoidance of diving into the hard stuff you need to do. But the hard stuff may be your resounding yes, that that is absolutely the best use of my time. And so you have to, you have to attack it. And you're going to look back on that with satisfaction after you do it. Yeah. I, you know, I stay pretty uh, laser focused on my calendar. My calendar stays really, you know, full every Every minute of every day is pretty much blocked off. And my kind of mantra is, is what I'm doing, is it generating the most revenue of what I could be doing? And so for me, you know, I've got windows of time that are blocked off of my calendar to just, you know, kind of set appointments for the next week. I don't ever have to worry about my calendar not being full, which I think in our businesses is uh, sort of the the most important thing is that we're seeing our clients and that we're growing our client base. You know, my laser focus is, is this the most efficient use of my time? Is this, you know, is this going to get me from point A to point B? Um, and is this going to get everything done that I need to need to have done? All of these things we've talked about here today on the podcast, as we get ready to wrap up, it's going to take some form of longevity. It's going to take practice. It's going to take time. You can't go out and just change your mindset or change the world in overnight. It's going to take time. And so we have to be patient with that. We're not just going to arrive at any of these things just because we decide to make a change. But what I think we can do is we can start being more aware of what we're doing, whether it's a mindset issue, whether it's a time issue, whether it's wanting to become wealthy just because you have a heart to give tons of money away and change the world, whatever in the world it is that you guys out there listening are wanting to achieve, you've got to understand that Failures are going to happen. And if you're not failing, I would argue that you're really not showing up with significance because anyone out there who shows up with significance and has a purpose in mind, they have failed over and over and over. But what did Edison say? Thank goodness we burned up all of our mistakes. Now we can start from fresh. Yeah. You know, basically take the knowledge that we had of all of our mistakes and start with a clean slate going forward and be better off than we were with all those mistakes there. I just yeah. love that quote. Uh, but be more aware of what you're doing. Catch yourself when you're disengaging and you're wasting time. Even the mindset things we talked about, you know, if you're with people, be all in, leave your phone in the car or leave your phone, even if it's just you by yourself, leave your phone in the office like we talked about last time when you get up to go walk around and, and go downstairs just to take a break. Just clear your mind, write down the things that are your core values and goals, both from a mindset standpoint and a time management standpoint, 
Stephen Covey, I talk about the seven habits all the time. You know, his book, he talks about imagining your 80th birthday party. Who do you want to be there at the end of your life celebrating life with you? What will you have wanted to accomplish? And this vision determines what is good in your life, what is better, and then what is best. And you can really frame what activities you should be doing. And then, Jordan, once you know what you want, it's going to be painfully obvious what you don't want. I mean, yeah. you're just going to be repulsed by not even not even wanting to add that thing to your calendar. When given the option, choose the harder road, because most of the time that's going to be the thing that you need to sink your teeth into, even if you're trying to avoid that at work. It could be laziness. It could be fear of failure. It could be whatever. Just remove the easier things that can be easily added to your plate, but really don't add up to a lot of things. And then be very proactive on all of this every day, working on it, sharpening it, but just understanding that it does take time to build it and grow. Yeah, I think, you know, one one thing I find inter- interesting is there's a lot of people who have had bad habits for a very long time, and then they label that as, well, that's just my personality type. True, yeah. And I think that's such a cop-out. And Rome wasn't built in the day, and you're not just going to, you know, flip a switch and then all of a sudden become a different person. But it's about those small, very small changes that are going to move the needle. Absolutely. Like like what in the intro, small win, small win, small win. It is about making, creating what the vision for your life is. Imagination is a, a really powerful thing. What do you want your future to look like? What do you want the next 30 years, 40 years, 50 years to look like? And then what is it going to take to get there? And what small steps are you going to have to make on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, on a 15 minute basis, uh, in order to make the changes it's going to take to get you there. Yeah. Because what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting a d- different result, right? Yep. So so it's, it is absolutely, we have got to figure out what the end result that we're looking for is and figure out what do we have to change to get to that end result. Guys, thanks so much for spending time with us here today on the Success 101 podcast. One bit of advice uh, that I would leave for you here is a new app that I found this week. I'm a tech junkie. I love apps and I love things that are going to make our time a little bit better, even when it comes to communication. So I downloaded an app this week. Many may have heard of it. Maybe I'm late to the game, but it's called Roger, R-O-G-E-R. And basically it's a walkie talkie. So I've heard of others out there like Voxer. And uh, there was even a really early version on the iPhone of something that I downloaded a long time ago that's like a that's like a walkie-talkie. But this is really cool because it allows you to create groups within this walkie-talkie. It also allows me to post my voice to our Slack message board, which if you guys haven't gotten into Slack, I could do a whole I could do a whole podcast episode on that. But we <laughs> use Slack every day for our communications here at the office, and I can d- basically do a voice dictation, basically like a walkie-talkie. Like I said, I can record a message in Roger. And it will post into our Slack message board, almost like a text message that's come through. People click on it and they can listen to it there or they can listen to it in the app. I can even post a dictation into Roger and it'll save to my Dropbox account or my Google Drive account. So if I'm thinking of ideas throughout the day as I drive around of just things that I want to work on in the future, I can just send myself a quick note doing that. But I think it's really cool to be able to create groups and get your entire team on this messaging system. It's been awesome for us so far. Thanks, guys. If you want to connect with us, you can email us directly at info at success 101 podcast. And you can also check us out on Facebook or uh, on Instagram for me at success 101 podcast, which is my favorite form of social media. But connect with us. We'd love to hear from you on any ideas, thoughts, content, suggestions or guest suggestions. We'd love to bring more and more relevance and content to you each week. And uh, we will catch you guys on the next episode of success 101. 
Until then.